All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 315, and today we are talking about books being released on June 15th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, Tearsa! Hi, Liberty! How are you? I am well. How about you? I am well as well. Uh, it's a little cooler here. We had like our super long heat wave for a while. Now it's nice and cool, so that's great. Uh, there's lots more birds. There's a cute little neighborhood cat that just moved in <laughs> that has been tormenting my cats. Like, oh, no. Wa- like walking up the cellar doors, like the bulkhead doors, and like peeking in the window at them, <laughs> which is like very invasive <laughs> and rude. Um, but, oh you know, very small cat. What can you do? Yes. <laughs> I I love it. I my partner and I were sitting out in the deck last night, and we heard this meow, and we're like, "Is that one of our cats?" And this cat just came around the side of the house, and we were like, "Oh, hey there, fella!" And then he <laughs> ran off. <laughs> yeah, but I love neighborhood cat visitors. They're cute. Yeah, they are. Um, let's see what else. What else do we have? Um, I feel like that's all I, I ever have because all I do is read books and look outside at the weather <laughs> and talk to the cats. <laughs> So I've already hit on all the things. That's not a bad thing. Uh, Hockey is all done. I got really into hockey this year. I don't know how that happened, except my husband subscribed to the channel where he was watching it. That might have something to do with it. (laughs) So uh, we were rooting for the Bruins, but it did not happen for them this year. Also, I talked about how I had started reading Dune on the last show because I had to write a piece about Dune. Uh, and now I'm kind of obsessed with Dune. I've watched the trailer like 800 times. It's like a three minute movie in itself. And my husband has never read Dune. And I was like, watch this trailer. He's like, he watched it. He's like, I have no idea what, the, what that's about. <laughs> and I was like, right. It makes no sense if you don't know what it's about. But it's so pretty to look at. Uh, so I'm oh. super into Dune, like reading all the stuff about Dune and like the failed attempts to make the movies and the other adaptations. And I'm all about Dune. Also, the cast is just amazing. Like, just amazing. Yes. It's good casting. Yeah. But, like, also, like, the main character's name is Paul. It it reminds me of Game of Thrones where it's, like, you have all these really interesting fantasy other world kind of names. And then you have Jamie, which is, like, a great (laughs) name. But, like, it just kind of sticks out, you know? And so now you have, like, Dune with all these, like, unusual names. And then you have Paul. And there was even a book called Paul of Dune. It's like, that doesn't sound very exciting at all. <laughs> no, that is kind of kind of like my little bit of a pet peeve when I'm reading fantasy or sci-fi is when like the names don't seem to like fit in with my expectations, which I realize is a very singular like personal problem because oh, yeah. my expectations might not be the same as others, but it, it sometimes bothers me. Yeah, I just it just makes me laugh when they're like... Paul. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Paul of accounting. That's that's really what it sounds like to me. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm sure I will talk about Dune like 800 million more times. Also, I wrote a piece about Dune and I think I like, I don't usually like give myself props, but I titled it How You Dune, which I think like <laughs> wins like for best title of something about Dune. Like it that's might be fantastic. because I've been rewatching Friends, you know, it also helped. Just giving myself a little pat on the back there. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So we have a lot of exciting books to talk about today, which, you know, is always exciting. I need to, I'm going to look up some other 
some other words besides exciting? Like, what are some synonyms for exciting? Because I use them. I use that word like more than any other word, except for books. I think is exciting. I'm like, I'm excited, excited, excited all the time. Yes, I mean it's very much a word that I overuse as well. But yeah, it also very accurately describes how I feel about books all the time. It does. Yeah. Yeah, what I mean, you people, like, I, I like for my other job, I take meetings and I always, like, start off by apologizing. I'm like, I speak in exclamation points, <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to prepare you for that before um, we get started. Oh, and also, I already warned you, Tirza, but uh, I had given up Red Bull, but my husband's friend brought me one, so I drank it, like, right <laughs> before the show, so... I might talk so that only dogs will be able to hear me. We're yeah, gonna find out. Extra animated liberty today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Okay. So my first book today is a really great dystopian futuristic novel that I loved called The World Gives Way by Marissa Levian. It's set in, like, the near future. Humans are living basically on a a ship, a giant, giant world ship, because the Earth has become uninhabitable. No surprises there. And now people live on this giant ship that is, you know, formed kind of like the world. And there's also this thing in the future now where people can enter into contracts of servitude, like you sign on uh, for so many years and, you know, it's it's to benefit people who don't have other options, kind of, but really you're just, like, working, you know, most of your life. Uh, and, and sometimes if a family member dies, their contract moves to another family member. It has to be fulfilled. And Mira is the main character. She has been a contracted worker since she was five. She's worked for several different people, several different businesses. Uh, now she's she's in her 20s, and she has 15 years left on her contract And her most recent job is working for this powerful family, the Carlisles. Um, They're high up in politics on this world. And when the book opens, Mira comes to their house and discovers Mr. Carlisle dead. And Mrs. Carlisle tells Mira this terrible secret before she dies. And so the Carlisles have died. And they are leaving behind their their young daughter, who's who's a toddler. And Mira has this horrible secret that she's just been burdened with, which obviously I can't tell you what it is. But she decides to take the toddler and run. She runs. Uh, and she heads to a different part of this world because she feels like there's so much that she needs to do and say before time runs out for her. Like, all of a sudden, she's in this horrible situation. And she's being pursued by a security forces worker who has been hired to find her once uh, the Carlisles have been discovered. And th- and they think, you know, Mira is somehow responsible for their deaths or at least involved somehow because also there's the matter of the missing child. So... Now they're looking for Mira, and it's just this cat and mouse game through this future world, which is not, like, unlike our world. I mean, there's there's different parts of the city, and pretty much everything is the same, except, you know, not on Earth. 
it's just really exciting. And it's a really powerful story of class and privilege and mortality. Uh, it reminded me a lot of Nikki Drayden, Harry Harrison. Harry Harrison wrote uh, a book that I love called Make Room, Make Room, which is actually what Soylent Green is based on. Uh, but the Ooh. movie of Soylent Green is very different than the actual book. But if you want to read something fun, uh, Make Room, Make Room is great. It also reminds me a lot of Ben Winters. And I also want to point out, I am so enamored with the editor of this book, Angeline Rodriguez. As a book lover, I tend to find not just authors that I love, but uh, sometimes I'll read like all of like an indie publisher. And I also find editors that I love too, because editors play a huge role in shaping a book. I still strongly feel that editors should have their name in a more prominent place on a book because, you know, they have a big part in it. Like the other day I was interviewing Charlie Jane Anders for BookFest and I asked her this question about why this happened in her most recent book. And she said, oh, that was my editor's idea. And, you know, it's like editors are so important to books, you know? So I just love, I love Angeline Rodriguez. She also edited The Space Between Worlds, which is, Mm. everyone loves that book. Yes. And also the upcoming book, The Body Scout, which I love, 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 and can't stop raving about. So props to her too. Um, So this just was an incredible book. I want to give content warnings for mentions of suicide, child endangerment, violence, and dystopian fears, by which I mean, you know, weird stuff that might happen in the future because we don't know what the future is like. But I just, I loved it. It's The World Gives Way by Marissa Levian. Oh, so that sounds amazing. And I was already like, mm, I think I'm going to need to go buy this book. And then you said it was the same editor as Space Between Worlds, one of my favorite books from last year. So yeah, you sold that one to me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, and did you, you saw the news, right? About how there's going to be a new. Yes. More books. Um, Space Between Worlds related story. Yeah. That's exciting too. Yeah. I screamed when you shared that news. So yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So going in a completely different direction, uh, my first pick of the day is The Secret Garden, the graphic novel adaptation. Um, It's been adapted by Mariah Marsden and illustrated by Hannah Luchtefeld. And it is a really, really gorgeous graphic novel adaptation of this classic book by Frances Hodgson Burnett. And I really, really loved this book. I mean, I remember reading The Secret Garden as a kid. Um, I have not revisited it since I have, you know, grown up and been an adult reader. But, um, you know, I just have like very vivid memories of this story and like, you know, the copy that I got one Christmas and, you know, what it looked like and reading it. So, um, if you're unfamiliar with The Secret Garden, it is the story of a little girl named Mary, and she is orphaned, and she is sent to go live at her uncle's estate, and it's on the British Moors, and she is very, very unhappy. <laughs> she is just got this, like, this very pronounced frown in the first few spreads of this graphic novel that kind of made me laugh, even though it's not exactly funny. But she's had a really rough life, and so she's just dumped on this estate with, like, no other children, no guidance, no, like, parental figure at all. And she's basically told to, like, okay, you know, just behave, but, like, this is your life now. And um, luckily for her, she does befriend um, one of the maids whose name is Martha, and Martha tells her about her brother Dickon, who is, like, really great with animals, and he, you know, explores the moors, and he befriends animals, and he takes care of them. And that kind of 
sort of gets Mary out of her her grumpiness a bit. And she is um, just spending a lot of time outdoors. They kind of just say, you know, go out, go outside, go go entertain yourself. And while she's outdoors, she finds all of these gardens and then she finds a secret garden. Um, but of course, the secret garden has this sort of tragic secretive history. There's a reason why it's closed up in this wall. Um, she finds the key and she goes inside and she decides that she wants to tend to it. Um, and then one night while she is um, in the manor, she hears this wailing and then she discovers that she has a cousin who is ill and not allowed to leave his room. And then so she, she really has to kind of dive into the secrets of her family and this estate in the garden. Um, so I really loved the graphic novel adaptation because I thought that the colors were just really great, really great, like greens and blues and yellows and pinks. The, the way that the graphic novel is set up, there's a lot of like very little panels that really focus in on like the details of the nature and the flowers and, you know, the growth and rebirth of this garden and also, you know, the growth and rebirth of the characters as they you know, face their hurtful past and and they find sort of a new lease on life. It's just a really, really lovely adaptation. And I think it's a really great book, you know, for readers who are maybe not quite at the reading level for, for wanting to, you know, read the original novel, or maybe just like a really great way to kind of familiarize readers with the story before they dive into reading The Secret Garden. Um, at the back of the book, the author and illustrator also give some context for, you know, The Secret Garden, the time that it was written. Um, one of the things that, you know, The Secret Garden has been critiqued for is its, you know, treatment of British colonialism and how, you know, there's some problematic stuff there. So they kind of contextualize that and they talk about that a little bit more. They mostly leave out the fact that Mary Lennox is brought up, you know, on an estate in, you know, the British colony where they colonized India and, you know, just the racism that is, you know, happening there. Um, it's mostly left out, but then they kind of talk about that choice in the back of the book. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, but then you can also kind of learn more about like that, that history and, and the author and whatnot. So this is a really beautiful graphic novel. Highly recommend it. It's The Secret Garden, the graphic novel adaptation by Mariah Marston and Hannah Lichtefeld. There was... I think it was a Hallmark, like, movie or a series, because I am much older than you. Uh, when I was little, there was an adaptation of The Secret Garden, and Barrett Oliver was in it, the young man from The NeverEnding Story. I was trying to remember what that was. Oh. Um, and, but he's like, he was, like, older, and I was like, I love him, and I'm <laughs> going to marry him when I grow up. <laughs> it was just like, and so now I'm like, eh, Secret Garden, but yay, Barrett Oliver. I just thought he was so dreamy. I, and I would get so scared because it was really intense when you're when you're young, like the the noises in the house yes. and stuff. I was like, "What is happening?" I had never actually read The Secret Garden. Like, I only watched the movie like eight hundred million times to you know see my future husband. <laughs> um, but you know, that's not what I always think of when I think of The Secret Garden. Oh, and also, they when I was in high school, we went on a trip to New York City when I was in band because. Of course, I was in band. And they took us to a Broadway production of The Secret Garden, and we all fell asleep. Like, all of us. Oh, man. <laughs> so that's all. those are my Secret Garden stories. Uh, and now for something so completely different. <laughs> I'm kind of laughing, like, talking about this book after we've just discussed The Secret Garden. But my next pick today is Bath House by P.J. Vernon, 
which is just one of those deliciously nasty thrillers that make you feel anxious and or claustrophobic and you just have to know what's going on and they're so intense, um, which is not what everyone loves, but oh my goodness, the writing in this is so good that it just works so well. I was like, this is horrifying and awesome and I just kept going. It's about two men named Oliver and Nathan. They are a couple. Oliver is 25. He has been with Nathan for five years now when the book starts. Nathan is 10 years older. He's a really respected surgeon. He comes from a moneyed family. They have a ton of money. Nathan and Oliver live in uh, one of the homes that his parents own this huge house. They live there with their dog, Tilly. And what we know very early on is that Oliver has a criminal past. We don't know what happened. We don't know why. But we also know that he has been sober now for five years. Thanks in part to Nathan, who has helped him. He's taking care of him. He got him a job as a receptionist at this doctor's office. And so, like I said, they've been together for five years now. And Nathan is very loving, but he's also very suspicious because he's like, I've got this handsome younger man and he checks his phone all the time, like snoops on his phone and his email. And Oliver knows this, but, you know, Oliver's like, you know, I love Nathan. Um, He makes Oliver wear a ring. They're not actually married, but he wants everyone to think they're married so that people won't hit on Oliver. So in the very first chapter of this book, Nathan is at a conference for work. Uh, their relationship has kind of stagnated. They're they're going through some tough times. And so Oliver decides he's going to go on this app called Meat Market. And it's this app that he downloads to meet men who just want to hook up. He's looking for an anonymous hookup. Um, and he's like feeling kind of guilty. He's cheating on, on Nathan. But at the same time, he's kind of excited because, you know, he's going to he's doing something secret. And so this app leads him to a place called House, like H-A-U-S. It's a secret bathhouse that gay men visit for anonymous sex. And Oliver goes there and immediately, like at the bar, he meets this very, very handsome man named Christian who tells Oliver, you know, like, do you want to get together? And Oliver's like, yes. So they go to this room that Christian has rented. And almost immediately, Christian attacks him Mm. and starts to choke him. And Oliver barely escapes with his life, flees into the night, and doesn't know what to do because now he has these horrible bruises on his neck and he's lost his credit card. And he decides he's going to make up a story about being mugged to tell Nathan because he doesn't want to tell Nathan that, you know, he was cheating on him. And so, you know, he's he's very stressed out and, you know, and of course, like, he was cheating on Nathan. He didn't deserve this, obviously. But, you know, he should tell him the truth. But he decides he's going to make it worse by lying to him. And then Christian finds him. Like, Christian finds him through the app before he gets a chance to delete it. And now he feels, Oliver feels threatened. And he's like, what's going to happen? Is Christian going to come here? Is he going to tell Nathan? Like, what am I going to do? He's worried that Nathan will find out. And... The tensions and the terror just keep amping up. You know, it's like fatal attraction. There are these close calls. There's possible threats. Or maybe it's just coincidences. You know, maybe Oliver is getting paranoid. Uh, Someone else finds out about what happened. And so now they're blackmailing Oliver. It's so, like I said, you know, it's so distressing, but like intense and just, It's narrated by Oliver and Nathan. Uh, We learn, you know, from Nathan's, narration that his mother really disapproves of Oliver. She's never trusted him. She's always trying to get Nathan to break up with him. And we're going to have to, like, find out, you know, will Oliver be able to get rid of Christian before Nathan finds out? Or is Nathan going to find out? Or is Oliver going to be murdered? 
as I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, wow, this is just a really <laughs> distressing description. But it's so, I don't want to say fun, but like, if you like over the top, unrealistic thrillers, then yes, it's fun, you know. And also, like, you can sense Nathan's growing suspicions as the book goes on. You know, he feels like some of Oliver's stories aren't really adding up and he's not sure about the mugging. Um, it's just this really propulsive thriller with morally gray characters and nonstop intensity that will keep you guessing to the end. Content warnings for mentions of violence, terminal illness, animal endangerment, infidelity, gaslighting, murder, and attempted sexual assault on the page. It is Bathhouse by P.J. Vernon. That sounds really intense. It is really intense. Yes. that's. But it's like my favorite kind of... It's my favorite kind of intense because, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I saw this Twitter account one time where the person writes about mysteries for some publication and they were like, I love fictional murder. And I was like, that's how I feel. Like, if it's like re- it's ridiculous enough to like not be real and it's a good mystery, like that's what I'm all about. And that's what this is, too. That's awesome. Yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> all right. So my next pick is Blood Like Magic by Lizelle Sambury. And I just want to give a few content warnings before I, you know, dive into discussing this book, because the content warnings are actually listed at the very beginning of the book, which I love, and I I love that we're seeing more of this. So um, the content warnings that the author gives include a whipping scene within the context of slavery, gun and police violence, discussion of and character with an eating disorder, blood, gore, violence, death, substance abuse, addiction, and mentions of child neglect. So just a heads up. That's going to be, I'm not necessarily going to discuss all those things, but that is in this book. So this book is a paranormal sort of urban fantasy, but like also mashed up with sci-fi. I'm digging it. It's kind of hard to really pigeonhole this one into a single genre, but it basically takes place in the near future in Toronto, and it is about a family of witches. So basically, the protagonist, Voya, um, she lives in this really old plantation house that her ancestors used to work in as slaves in the American South. And then they actually took the house and they moved it north to Canada. And now they live in it and they they put it in a position that was like very sort of like remote for Toronto in the past. But now that, um, you know, the city has grown and time has passed, it's in a very desirable location. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the family is rich. They have really struggled to hold on to their property, especially as um, the neighborhood around them has grown and changed. And so now in this near future, they, um, you know, are really struggling to make ends meet. The entire extended family lives in this house and they're witches. So they have a matriarch, you know, she lives there with her, her mom, with her aunt and her cousins, and then her dad and his new wife and their daughter also live in this house. And her uncle has been banished to live in this like little shed in the um, out in the backyard. But the book begins when she gets her period. And basically that means that, you know, as she bleeds for the first time, her calling is upon her. And basically what happens is like one of her ancestors will appear to her and they will give her a challenge or a task. And if she passes that challenge or task, she'll get her magical gift. But if she fails, it means that you know, she won't become a witch. And so she really, really, really wants to pass this, but she's very uncertain because she is not, you know, super 
great at making decisions and she tends to overthink things. And so she gets her calling and she fails. And this is really, you know, kind of a blow. But she's given the chance to basically, like, you know, get a second chance and and get her gift and complete her calling. But this task is even harder. Um, She's asked to kill her first love. And if she fails, it means that, like, every single witch in her family will be stripped of their their gift and their magic. So stakes are a lot higher now. Um, and then this is kind of where like the sci-fi part comes in, because as I mentioned, it's set in the near future in Canada. And in this future, it's very capitalistic, like these major corporations basically run and control everything. If you don't have money, like you're, you're, Options are very limited in life. So like you can't go to college unless your family is rich or you can get a corporation to basically sponsor you. But then it's kind of like an indentured servitude because then you're expected to work at that company for like the next 10 years. And so one of the biggest companies is this genetics company and they have taken analyzing people's genetic code to like the next level as far as like um, you know, employers will ask for a DNA sample so they can look at your genetics. And that's like part of like how they decide if we're going to give you a job or not. But like the average person has to have a lot of money and able in order to be able to see their entire genetic code and understand like what other people are seeing. So people are really at a disadvantage here. But Luckily for Voya, she lives in this world where, like, you know, she is not in love with anybody, but she can use DNA genetics to, like, find out who her, like, perfect match is. And so she goes to this genetic matchmaking program to find a guy so she can fall in love with him and then kill him in order to basically save her family's magic. Um, so that's a lot. It's a really, like, high concept idea, but it's really fascinating. I think that one of the things I found most fascinating about this book is that from the very beginning, you can really see that, like, Voya and her family, they have a very strong connection to, like, their family history and in where they come from and who they are. And, like, legacy is very important to them. So that's where you get, like, a lot of the history about, like, you know, the side of the family was enslaved, the side of the family you know, was able to to escape. And, and these are the things that they endured. Um, that's where you get some of like the, the darker kind of um, history and where we have those content warnings coming in. But I thought it was really great because uh, just interesting to bring the magic part into that, but then also the science part of the genetic coding and then like what that can and cannot do for you. Um, because like one point that she makes is like, just because you can, you know, analyze your genetic code doesn't mean that you necessarily have like that strong connection to your ancestors and to your past. So it was really fascinating. Um, it was, I mean, very cool book because I don't think I've read anything quite like it in YA. So I highly recommend Blood Like Magic by Lizelle Sambury. Okay, before I talk about my next pick, we wanted to do a shout out. Tirza, will you do the do the shout out before I get started? Yes. So one of the things that I know we've talked about before is like sometimes it feels like we're shouting into a void. So it's nice to hear from listeners. And so shout out to Kat, who is a bookseller that I met relatively recently, who is a fan of the show. And I so graciously shared that like she even picked up um, House on the Vesper Sands because of Liberty's recommendation. So we love to hear it. Thank you, Kat. Oh, (laughs) 
That's so exciting. I think actually, I think she, no, maybe you told me that. I can't remember now. <laughs> My brain is all scrambled plus 20 ounces of Red Bull. Like who knows what's going on in there, but hello to Cat. Hi. <laughs> yes. So my next pick today is the Tangle Root Palace stories by Marjorie Liu. And Mark Liu is the New York Times bestseller and Hugo, British fantasy, romantic times, and Eisner Award winning author of the graphic novel Monstrous, which we've talked about on the show. We talk about on Book Riot all the time. It is probably my favorite graphic novel series of all time. Just the artwork is so intense, and I love the fantasy story. And this is Lou's long-awaited debut story collection, and it does not disappoint. Content warning for mentions of suicide, miscarriage, sexual assault, animal death, terminal illness, murder, death, violence, and gore. There are seven stories, and one is about a woman who has superhuman powers and she is raised to be a weapon. There is a Sleeping Beauty-related sapphic story. There's one about a virus that turns most of the world into vampires. I feel like there are a million vampire books, but I never get tired of vampire stories if they're told really well like this one is. The novella in the book is the title story, The Tangle Root Palace, which is about a woman who is imprisoned in a forest, which she also rules over. There's a story with giant worms, which I'm so excited because giant worms, Dune. Again, I cannot stop <laughs> talking about Dune. But if you like great tales of magic, and if you loved Monstrous, you're going to love this. If you haven't read Monstrous, first of all, like, run, don't walk. Get your hands on a copy and read it. But even if you haven't read Monstrous, you'll still love this story collection if you love highly imaginative stories with strong characters. It's queer it's dark, it's fairy tales, it's got witches and giant worms and monsters and magic. Some of them are steampunky, some people have secret powers, there's stories about love. Oh, it's just so good. Just love, love, love this book, love the publisher. It is The Tangle Root Palace Stories by Marjorie Liu. And now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Okay, I feel like that was a very short wrap-up, but, you know, seven stories, don't want to give too much away. Yeah. Yeah, so what do you got next? All right, my next pick is one of my most anticipated books of the summer. It's The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels by India Holton, and I mean, that title alone, like, piqued my interest all the way. But this is a very charming, very funny sort of madcap um, romance set in um, a Victorian England, but like also kind of a magical alternative Victorian England. So in this world, there's magic and certain women have used this magic to basically assert their independence in one way that they do this. This is going to sound really bonkers, but like, trust me, just go with this. It makes total sense if you read the book. They use their magic to make their houses fly. So like their houses float in the air and they can just navigate and steer them every which way. And obviously it's like not an easy thing. Like you have to have like a really strong um, sort of control over this incantation. Um, but they use this as a way to just kind of, you know, go gallivanting across the world. And one thing that kind of develops from this is like, they've sort of become like 
pirates. I don't think the word pirate is ever used in the book, but like that is kind of the impression you get where like they are, they're steering their houses all over the place. They are stealing, you know, but they, they're trying, they have like an, a code. It's like an honor code for these lady scoundrels. And that is where the Wisteria Society comes in because they, they have like this, these group meetings and they talk about like what is and is not appropriate. And, you know, who you can and cannot steal from. And the average person's kind of afraid of them, but they are, you know, perfectly polite, but they also, you know, will like steal your wallet or your wristwatch when you're not looking. So the protagonist is Cecilia, and she is a young woman who's kind of like a junior member of the Wisteria Society. And she aspires to being a full-blown member like her her mother before her. And she lives with her aunt, who's this, um, you know, very cantankerous, prim and proper Victorian lady who also is a scoundrel. But she is very controlling of Cecilia, and she has not quite yet allowed Cecilia to, like, rise to the ranks. So Cecilia's dream is to become a full-blown member of the Wisteria Society, but she hasn't quite made it yet. And then one day she learns that somebody has um, hired an assassin to kill her. And she's like, fantastic. This is wonderful. Because if an assassin wants to kill me, then that means that like I'm finally important enough that I can um, rise in the ranks of the Wisteria Society. But that is not quite how the other ladies see it. Um, and then her assassin is a man named Ned Lightborn. And he is, you know, hired to go do a job. But like the second he sees Cecilia, he's absolutely smitten with her. And, you know, that creates some complications. And she, of course, wants nothing to do with him. And they have a lot of really, really delicious banter. But uh, one thing that Ned Lightborn is doing is he's working for this captain who has like this gothic abbey that flies around and it's got like cannons and it's you know dark and brooding and ned has his kind of his own agenda and the captain has his own sort of nefarious agenda which is basically just wipe out all the women and unfortunately for them there's also a lot of other kind of subplots going on and the wisteria society is not to be trifled with so when somebody's house gets stolen things get a little wild um, I'm not going to say much more because this plot is so bonkers and it all over the place in a like really delightful, wonderful way. But I don't want to spoil the reading experience. Just know that this is a first in a series. I think if you really liked um, Gail Carriger's Solace or the Parasol Protectorate series, um, but even also her Etiquette and Espionage series, like basically anything Gail Carriger writes you will love The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels by India Holton. And I feel like I did not do the plot of that book justice. Just know that it, it delighted me very, very much. And I can't wait for the next book. I have so much reading to do for work <laughs> this weekend, and now I just want to put it down and read that. It's so great. <laughs> it sounds amazing. It sounds even more amazing now that you've you've talked about it. I, I Yeah. I might have to just not go to bed tonight. <laughs> just read it it's so quick it's a really fun read you'll probably finish it in like a single sitting oh, that sounds great so my last pick for today is really just an excuse to talk about the truly devious trilogy by maureen johnson which is one of my favorite series of this century if not of all time 
this is the fourth book in the Truly Devious series, but there was an original trilogy that wrapped up last year. And you don't have to have read the original trilogy to enjoy this book, but there is a little bit of spoilery stuff in this fourth one. So, like, go read the first three. They're so good. They're so intense and scary. This new one is called The Box in the Woods. Like I said, it's by Maureen Johnson. And it takes the main character from the Truly Devious trilogy, Stevie Bell, uh, who was involved in investigating a 100-year-old murder a case in Ellingham Academy, which was like this Charles Lindbergh-type mystery where this the very rich guy who formed the Academy, his wife and child, were kidnapped, and nobody really knows what happened. And Stevie Bell is a huge, huge fan of true crime, and so she got into this very elite academy because she thought she was going to solve this new 100-year-old crime. Uh, and now Stevie is done with the academy, so she returns to her home in Barlow Corners, and like I said, she loves true crime, and she gets a message from the owner of Sunny Pines, which is a summer camp, which was formerly known as Camp Wonder Falls, uh, which is a really excellent show by Brian Fullerall, by the way, just side note. Wonderfalls, watch it. Lee Pace, woohoo. Anyway, so she gets this message from the owner of Sunny Pines saying, you know, we want you to come stay at the summer camp and help us do a true crime podcast about the murder of four camp counselors that have been un- that has been unsolved uh, since 1978. Like in 1978, four camp counselors left. They weren't supposed to be out in the woods. Somebody murdered them. It was mm. horrible. It was gruesome. And nobody was ever arrested for the crime or was like, nobody was ever, they don't know who the killer is. So, of course, like, this is like catnip for Stevie Bells. You know, she can't say no to this. So, of course, she goes to the camp, you know, to help them talk about this this investigation and also to talk about these old murders. But unsolved murders? That means that the killer or killers might still be around, might still be out there. And sure enough... Shortly after she moves to the camp, Stevie seems to have awakened the evil, and it turns out that the killer is not done yet. And so the introduction to this book, which is the scene of the 1978 murders, was so intense that I had to put it down. I was like, I'm not reading any more of this before bed. And then I talked to Jamie, one of our contributors at Book Riot, who loves mystery books, and she said the same thing. She's like, that first scene is so scary. I was like, yes. Yes, it is. Maureen Johnson is so awesome. And I just, I absolutely love this book. Um, And Maureen Johnson is just great. Uh, She has a uh, YA book about Cruella that just came out recently called Hello, Cruel Heart, which I feel like really got lost in the shuffle of like the news about the Cruella movie and also like all the new releases coming out and the pandemic and everything. Like I I feel like it needed more attention because it was really fun. It was like about Cruella when she was younger. And she also has this book that is hilarious coming in September called Your Guide to Not Getting Murdered in a Quaint English Village uh, that she did with uh, Jay Cooper. It's this little illustrated like (laughs) gift book about like all the things, like all the invitations you should turn down if you find yourself in in an English village. Like don't go to the vicars and don't accept the tea from the little old lady and don't, you know, ever go in a cemetery. And like it's it's really, really funny. And she also did the Shades of London series, like the Jack the Ripper YA series, which I absolutely loved. I'm just throwing out all kinds of love for people today. <laughs> just like a big, big, big fan. So this is really fun. Don't read it before bed. It is The Box in the Woods, the related fourth book in the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson. 
Awesome. I also love that series so, so much. I have not read The Box yes. in the Woods yet, but I need to. I have a copy. Not before bedtime, though. But not oh before bedtime. <laughs> Thank you for that warning. <laughs> All right. My final pick is The Hellions Waltz by Olivia Waite. And I also have to toss some love out because I love Olivia Waite's Feminine Pursuit series. This is the third book in the series. It's a romance series, so you don't have to read them in order. But, you know, it's it's kind of nice if you do because there are some connected characters throughout and you get like little cameos from character from book to book. But um, The Hellions Waltz, I've actually, you know, not completely finished it yet because I am waiting for the audiobook. Um, the audiobook is narrated by Morag Sims. I read the first two on audio. So basically, this is a historical romance series that features female romance, like female to female romance. So um, I, I don't want to say that they're all lesbians because I think that the character in book two is actually bisexual. You know, it's historical, it's Regency era, so they aren't necessarily using the same language that we would about the LGBTQ plus community, but they are all romances between ladies. And I love when authors are basically giving us historical romance that's queer because I do not subscribe to the theory that like, oh, everybody who lived in the past who was queer must have had like tragic stories. Like obviously people found love and happiness. It just, you know, wasn't necessarily in the public eye. So the first book in this series is The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics. Um, the second is The Care and Feeding of Waspish Widows. And then this is the third one, The Hellion's Waltz. So this one is about Sophie, whose family lost a piano shop that they owned in London to a con man. And so they basically forced them to like sell everything and move to a small town outside of London. They're hoping for a fresh start. Sophie's father's, you know, really excited and eager to just dive in. She's a bit more skeptical. She's mostly suspicious of a silk weaver named Madeline Crew, um, who she feels is not necessarily walking the straight and narrow path. And um, she's right, because Maddie Crew is a bit of a con woman, and she is looking for a heist that would like help fund the Weavers Union. So she's kind of like a con woman with a conscience. You know, she, conscience. She only you know targets greedy, bad people who probably ought to be targeted. So she is determined to basically pull off this heist that would ensure that she would have enough money that she wouldn't have to keep pulling off heist. But Sophie keeps meddling, and so. She's put in this really awkward position of, like, does she tell Sophie what she's actually up to, or does she just kind of keep trying to do what she wants to do while avoiding her? Of course, they fall in love. What I love about Olivia Waite's writing is, like, not only is it just, like, fun, queer, historical romance, it's really good historical fiction as well. Um, so she's mostly writing in, like, the early 19th century, like, the Regency era and right immediately after that. But what I think is kind of cool is that her characters tend to be more of the working class, not necessarily, like, the Bridgerton High Society. Um, the first book has um, a character who doesn't have a title, but is... I can't remember if she has a title or not, but she's richer. But then she has a romance with somebody who who is not necessarily rich. The second book is, you know, slightly lower working class women. I, I think that's really cool. So I'm so excited to dive into this book. 
I think that this is like just book three of three, but I hope that Olivia Waite writes more because I have sincerely enjoyed both of her first Feminine Pursuits books. I'm sure I'm going to love the third one and I highly recommend them. So that is The Hellion's Waltz by Olivia Waite. Woohoo! We talked about new books again. Yay! <laughs> For the 315th time. Right. <laughs> Pretty exciting. That's so amazing. 315 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So those are our new picks. What are you going to read next? Oh my gosh. I'm so torn. I want to like go pick up the box in the woods right now, but I, I'm actually probably going to pick up The Nature of Witches by Rachel Griffin next, which came out um, earlier this month and it looks really beautiful and really interesting. And I just got like a hardcover copy and the hardcover first printing has like this beautiful, like naturey print on like the actual hardback and it just looks like a beautiful book and I'm excited to read it. Ooh, I am still reading Dune, <laughs> of course. It's Dune, 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 Dune. Uh, but I have the new Margaret Rogerson, which is very exciting. Ooh. Uh, she did Sorcery of Thorns and An Enchantment of Raisin. Raisin? <laughs> 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 oh my goodness, I kind of want to keep that. Okay. Not Raisins, Ravens. <laughs> and uh, her new book is called Vespertine. And the blurb says it is about a teen girl with mythic abilities who must defend her world against restless spirits of the dead and raisins, apparently. <laughs> I'm so having Jen leave that in. Yes. Yeah, that would be me tripping over my tongue after 20 ounces of Red Bull. But yeah, so I'm really excited because I love Margaret Rogerson. So this will be very exciting. And that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who is awesome. <laughs> you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online, Tears of Hangs Out, on Twitter at Tears of Price. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. Tears of You also hang out on Instagram at Tears of Price, right? Yep, same handle. Yeah, so all over the place. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. Thank you so much to all of you who have already done that. And as much as we would love to tell you about more raisins today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.